welcome to episode three of the 29029 podcast. On our previous episodes, we checked in with Mark Hodelik and Jesse Itzler and got their thoughts and feelings about creating a new brand, a new category, and a new event. We also covered some of the most impactful parts of the 29029 experience and how they came to life. In today's episode, we take a deep dive into what the first 29029 event was like for Mark, Jesse and the team, and most importantly, the first group of participants who took on the challenge. Let's pick things up with Jesse arriving in Vermont for the first time at a 29029 event three years ago. remember walking to Vermont, into Vermont with my wife and I was like, man, I am so proud of what we're building and what, you know, what we have built today. All of these markers happen along the way. And there's also hiccups. You know, I remember um, the food coming out a little slowly. So there was a, a line that was backed up a couple of minutes to get food the first year we had Vermont. And I was like, oh my, I thought like I wanted to crawl under a rock. I, I didn't want one customer to have to wait for their pasta or their salad. You know, you want everything to be perfect and everything doesn't always go perfectly. Um, especially when you're dealing with nature and wind and rain and all these conditions that are outside of our control. So we try to think ahead. We try to think about worst case scenarios, best case scenarios and everything in between. And you plan the best you can, but sometimes a rattlesnake could show up on the course that's not in your brochure or it's not in your business plan. So you have to have some flexibility and, and always think about the customer. Tell me about the experience of doing it with Sarah. The first year, you know, you, you talked about wanting to have something that you could do with your wife, do with your friends. Tell me about that experience of seeing her do more than uh, she thought that she could and perhaps you thought that she could as well. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of endurance events that I can do with my wife. She's not going to come run a 50 or hundred mile race with me. She has no interest in running a marathon. Um, she doesn't want to get into a cold water and swim. This is something that we're compatible. We like to walk. Um, and she came to the first Vermont kind of undertrained. Let me, let me put an asterisk next to that. Incredibly undertrained. Her training was running Spanx. Um, and she was able to do 11 of the, of the summits or 12. She timed out. She didn't have a sense of pace. She didn't go long enough into the night. Otherwise I believe she could have completed it, but we did many of those together. But like, it was such a great feeling, even when we weren't together to go down the gondola and see Sarah coming up. It just made me feel so, you know, proud of her and her effort. Um, and plus she got to experience it. So she knew, she now knows way more intimately what I went through. And when I talk to her about it, we share it in common. Yeah. So I'm excited for her to come back. Jesse described walking into Vermont and at that moment realizing that he'd picked the right partner. Um, Mark, when was your first re uh, realization that, yeah, you're, you're on a winner here with partnering with Jesse? Yeah, I, I think it was the validation from his friends, right? Jesse wrote an email that, that was titled, Who's Up for a Challenge? And there were numerous people that weren't even up for a challenge, but if Jesse was doing it, they were going to do it. And, and I have a circle of friends that's the same way where if I ask a question, they say yes, and they don't know what the details are. 
And to know that he had so many people for that initial event that had so much trust in him that if Jesse's doing this, if he's behind it, it's a yes. To me, not only made me feel good about the, the partnership, but to have him as a partner of knowing, look, there may be some things it's a little harder to get something off the ground because Jesse really wants to vet it and make sure it's good. But it's to protect that level of trust and the t- integrity that he has with his network to where his network didn't ask questions. It was, I'm in, I'll do it. There's a lot of learnings that I got from that, right? Because it, it, was, it was up to me to educate them and let them know kind of the kind of challenge they were taking on. And we certainly learned from that 17 into 18. But right away, it was how many people very quickly were like, I'm raising my hand if Jesse asks on him. How do you articulate the vision to your friends and your family? They said yes without even really knowing. But there's an element of you sharing that vision and that thought that you have around how this is how it's going to roll out. Like, if you had to do that now, what would be that introductory vision that you would share with them? We have to show people that we care about their finish line, maybe more than they do. We know what someone can get out of the event. I know what they can get out of the event, but a lot of people, even when they start it, don't know what they can get out of the event. So it's a responsibility that we have to keep them going so they can realize that transformation, so they can realize that dream. And you have to honestly want that for other people. You know, we do get to know some of these participants through the community, but the way you get to know someone over those 36 hours on the mountain, there's relationships I have there where I've only known these people for 36 hours and they will be in my life for the next 20 years. Because I saw who they truly are and I saw like the best version of themselves take place on the mountain. But you do have to sometimes realize people may not get there if you don't properly encourage them. If you're not there for them, some people will miss out. Some people will let that voice in their head, they'll let self-doubt creep in. And then we have a responsibility to give them every opportunity to keep climbing. And that doesn't mean that finishing is the only way to get that transformation. Some of the most moving stories in this event have come from people that because of physical things, because of challenges in their training, because of no matter what took place, they weren't going to be able to finish the event. And they knew from pretty early on, but they had a transformation because they kept climbing past the point that they were comfortable. Jesse, what were you thinking personally? We've set up this, you've set up this event, it's on sale, it's happening. You've got your wife coming, you've got your friends who are coming. What were you thinking personally about the actual experience or what you had to do to go through to get to 29,029 feet yourself as a physical endeavor? Well, you know, there was a lot of pressure to make sure the event was good. So my friends, family and wife and everybody had a great time. Uh, But once you get onto the mountain and I was a participant, I really had to put that in my pocket because I realized walking up the first summit that this is going to be really hard. And then I looked at my watch. I'm like, whoa, that took me about an hour round trip. And I got 17 hours in front of me and I'm going to sleep. I'm going to eat. I, you know, now I'm looking at, you know, 23 hours. Then maybe I take a little lunch, 24 hours. Then maybe my nap's a little longer, 20. It's going to be a long day. So um, my focus shifted to, you know, each hill, each summit and trying to be present trying to just, you know, not get ahead of myself, not celebrate how many I've done or think about how many I have in front of me. And then also just trying to like, I wanted to make sure that I I spent as much time with as many of the participants as possible. So trying to vary my pace a little bit so I could kind of interact with everybody, get to know everybody. 
So, you know, there was a lot, but that went in my pocket too after a while. Cause then I was like, I got to get this thing done and I might time out if I'm not careful. So, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to come home with, uh, falling short of my goal. So I, I, I shifted into, uh, event mode, you know, finish mode. Did you ever look at Mark along the journey and be like, this is fucking hard. Like this is, this is tough. No, but I looked at him and said, this is amazing many times. Yeah, uh-huh. he, he, did, he did say this is amazing. He also did pull me aside, probably climb four, climb five, and said, there's a lot of people who are going to find out this is way harder than they thought it was going to be. Right? Oh, yeah. So for him, he realized the amount of time, but he's done big things like this. And there were still a lot of people that like lap three or lap four were kind of like, you know, this is like a fun weekend. And it was like, this shit's going to get real, real quick. And I, I think I saw the true concern he had for our customers when he kept saying, what's the finisher rate going to be? What do you think the finisher rate's going to be? Every time I saw him, how many people do you think are going to get to Everest? How many people do you think are going to climb at least 10,000 feet, at least 20,000 feet? And that's where the idea of the seven summits originated was from a speech he wanted to give that night, which is saying, if you didn't get to 29 out of 29, let's come up with something that shows how big your achievement was. That was not part of some business plan. That was Jesse preparing to give a talk and trying to say, how can we take into context what you did? And, you know, I came up with, all right, well, I think the thing that makes more sense and talk about how many Empire State buildings you went up or other types of things is let's use the seven summits. And then it was like, well, what are the seven summits? And in going through like Kuziusko, Kaziusko, I mean, you're, you're in Austin. How do you say it? Kaziusko. Yeah, we say Kuzco, I think. It's <laughs> a one. Um, Akinkagawa or whatever. Like, I mean, it was, it was like Jesse had finished. I think he went and took like a shower or a bath and like called me. I was like, Hey, like I'll be over there. I'm like, awards start in five minutes. And he was like, well, tell me how many people are in each one of these. And so I think it was realizing how hard it was and also wanting to recognize that, that it's not a failure. If you hike the entire time and accomplished one of the seven summits, it's a huge accomplishment. So that, that was to me a huge takeaway and it showed his care for wanting to make people leave on a high and recognize their achievement no matter, no matter what it was. Do you have that same recollection, Jesse? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. But it's, you know, look, it's not, I, I think, want to make sure that people that, that don't get, not everybody is there to try to get all 29,000 feet. So for many people, their goal, for some people, their goal was just to do, you know, four summits, three summits. So you want to recognize that accomplishment, you know? Yep. Um, how do you say Kosciuszko? Cusco. <laughs> Nailed it. It's good by or, me. Or in the States, sometimes we just say Costco. Costco yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty much the same experience. How do you manage your own energetic responsibility? You've uh, participated in all but one event. You did some, some work at Utah, but you were on the top of the mountain supporting and cheering people on. You're putting out this physical effort and energy, but you're also there as this beacon of light for people you're this inspiration people love seeing jesse out there high-fiving having that opportunity to hike with you talk with you how do you maintain your energy over those over the weekends knowing you have to give so much of yourself yeah it's honestly um it's so easy travis it's um people are out there giving it their all 
uh, I love, I did participate in all the events except for one. I did some of the hills, but I really wanted to sit on top and watch all the finishers. And um, it was just, I mean, like, I really encourage anybody that does a 29 or 29 event when they're done to go to the finish line, especially the last two or three hours where people are coming under the gun and gutting out the last, you know, one or two hills, summits. Um, it's hard. It's so infectious and contagious. So it's hard not to have the energy when people are out there with their headlamp and they're breathing out there's the cold air out of their mouth, but they're sweating and they're hurting and they're still climbing and they're encouraging each other. It's like it brings out all the best in humanity. So to not want to watch that or have the energy to participate in that would be a tremendous loss. So uh, for, for me or for anybody, um, it's not a superpower that I have. It's just the human spirit is like super present. And I want, you know, you want to capture that. It's the ultimate arena. I've, you know, having been to many, many races and many events and watched live sporting events, what happens on the mountain at 29 and 29 to me is this beautiful human experience. These stories start to reverberate around the mountain. Did you see Mona do this? Did you see Adam Jorgensen do this one lap? Like, Tell me about that kind of storytelling and that community that's developed and the, the, just the, the generosity and human spirit that's created. Over the course of, you know, this race, this event, uh, which goes 36 hours, right? Um, for some people, it could be 20. For some, it could be 36. But th throughout the, the one or two day event, at some point, you will see every single participant on the mountain gondola or during during a meal during a break or at an aid station whether you're the whether you're you're a leader in in the pack as far as pace or you're the slowest participant you're going to pass one another at some point so you get to see and and, and no one goes by silently then no one just goes by and ignore hey how you doing you're looking great i'm jesse good to see you keep it up your name is on your bib i see hey travis uh, I haven't seen you out here yet. What what number are you on? Four. Great job. So you're gonna you're gonna come in contact with everybody. Um, unlike a marathon or a 10k where there might be 60,000 people in the New York Marathon, you might speak to one or two. You're gonna speak to all 250, 300 people during this event. So um, it's a social. Even if you're an introvert, it's a social um, just by default environment um because it's encouraging so those stories the names um you remember where you were at what point in the mountain when so and so crossed you just build a memory bank that you wouldn't normally have so everybody does get to share some of the stories you know oh my god someone's already on number 11 who is it oh here you he just passed me you got to be kidding me he's a doctor what do you mean he's got four kids he's 65 years old he looks like he's 40 and it just starts to like, it's like, the, it's like that game, um, tr you know, you play um, at the dinner table called train, the train, I forgot the name of it, where you whisper. Oh yeah. Telephone. Telephone. It's like telephone on the mountain. By the end of it, I'm King Kong. You know, like, you know that Jesse's really King Kong, <laughs> but the, the, the truth always comes out at the end of the race. So it's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, and even as a you know, as a, a an interested bystander and a spectator, hearing those things and and helping perpetuate some of those stories in the folklore, 
um, is amazing too. And being able to witness that spirit. During the event, um, we've had amputees with prosthetic legs, um, amazing displays of courage that you just can't help but be moved and inspired by what you see. Um, but more importantly, or as importantly, I've seen people do things that they never thought they were capable of doing and go farther and tap into a reserve tank they didn't even know they had and leave with a newfound sense of confidence that they could take on any obstacle, that no obstacle was too great coming off of that, what they just did. I have been the beneficiary of all watching this happen unfold before my eyes at all of our events and the recipient of all the thank you letters. And, um, you know, it's just insanely rewarding as a co-founder. Um, and Mark and I, you know, Colin, everybody on the team gets to feel the energy. Um, and you just don't get that watching a YouTube video. What about you personally? You know, we have people who look at you, you've done 100 mile races, last man standing, you've done a bunch of New York marathons, you're an endurance guy, Mark Hodelik's an endurance guy. There's some people who may come with that intimidation factor of, oh, I'm not an endurance athlete. What would you say to those people? How can you describe the opportunity that's in front of them, no matter what level they're at? Right. Well, first of all, I wasn't an endurance athlete. My first goal when I started running at 22, 23, was to run two miles without stopping. And if I could run two miles in under 20 minutes, I was a runner. And that was my goal. That's how I started. And I was there for a very long time until I finally ran my first marathon and then gradually saw people doing endurance events that I realized they had one thing in common. And it wasn't an unbelievable physique. It was, they just didn't stop. They had like an insane will and insane grit, patience, and um, probably a, a really high threshold for pain. But, um, but they just didn't stop. And I was like, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? And if this isn't about speed, it's just about will, you know, um, I want to have more will because grit's the number one indicator of, of future success. I want to get grittier always. So, um, yes, now I have more experience and now I know how to manage time. I know how to be super present. I know now how not to get ahead of myself or celebrate where I am. I know just one foot in front of the other. I know that I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm never going to be like, I can't believe I got eight more summits, 12 more hours. I don't, I know that that's defeating. I know not to speak out loud that this sucks and say, and, and reverse that and say, this is an amazing opportunity. I can't believe I'm even lucky enough to be out here. So I, I have the tools to get through it now that I didn't have when I was running two miles. So yes, that's an advantage. But here's the bottom line, Travis. Of all of our competitors, I would say almost all of them have never run a marathon before. Many of them, it's their first time ever signing up for an endurance race yet they finish. So why are they finishing? What happens on that day that gives them a superpower to have super endurance? It's not, clearly not 30 years of doing 100 mile races. It's something clicks in their brain that says, I am not gonna stop. I want this. 
and my want is greater than the obstacle in front of me, which is the mountain. I want it more than the 17 obstacles or the 13 summits or whatever in front of me. So whether you're an endurance athlete or not, on this day, you transform into one. And that's what makes this so special. Now, I don't think you could just show up at the starting line of a 100-mile race and go run 100 miles having never ran in your life. But I do think this event, because it's low impact, because it's a hike, and because it's about consistency, will, and relentless forward motion, that you and almost anyone can do it. I won't say you, I'm not saying you will, but can. Are there any uh, participants or stories or moments in particular that really stand out in your memory bank as, as really special moments? Well, you know, we have folks that come with the goal of doing one summit. And we have folks that come of, you know, getting it done in 17 hours and everything in between. I wouldn't say anything stands out uniquely different than the next, because I think what I found is that almost 100% of the people that show up want to do their best. Um, No one invests in this experience to come out and and come home and be like, yes, I was 70% of what I could have been that day. So everybody is giving 100%. I never look at what, what, how many summits anybody did, whether they did all and they got Everest or whether they did one. It's like, did they go wire to wire from the beginning to the end? Did they get out at night and do a night hike? Did they go as far as they could? Did they learn? Did they surprise themselves? Do they feel good about and accomplished about their effort? That's the criteria. So if that's the criteria, I would say we're, bat- we're batting a thousand. Yeah. What was the first moment that you knew that you were onto something when it came to looking at a participant or seeing someone who was a participant light up and their life changed on that weekend? Can you recall that moment? I think the first time that people sobbed in my arms, like at the summit and in seeing people that were very driven, very focused, the whole event, have that emotional release that I'd seen at major marathons, Ironmans, and seeing that kind of transformation and, and release and true acceptance of those emotions. And, and I remember a couple specifically like Joni Rich, uh, Mark Scala, e- even someone, Mark Menga, who's a you know former Patriots defensive player, huge bodybuilder. He went to war to finish the event. And to see that guy and have him thank me at the end of the event for being there for him and for the support throughout the event. And he wasn't like a guy that was broken down crying. But to see that recognition and relief of, of that commitment And also the first year was very interesting because we were spread out over three nights. I'm sorry. We were spread out over two nights. So the first year he started hiking Friday. We did, we, the, the mountain we were at Stratton did not have a permit to operate the gondola at night. And so for those that wanted to hike through the night, we had a caravan. We had 15 SUVs parked at the top of the mountain and the, the mountain road, it's not fair to call it a road. 
it was gravel and rock, boulders, one-way traffic only, 30-something minute ride down the mountain to go two and a half miles. You could run down the mountain significantly faster than you could drive the car down. And so there was a lot of bonding that took place from people being stuck in the back of these things, someone not wanting to wait, wait, wait for the next Suburban, so they would jump in the trunk of the Suburban. And then take a 30-minute ride down, and there was a special sense of community that was being built throughout the weekend of, as well, of not only people experiencing something for the first time, but then going through a couple of these nuances of trying to offer the ability to hike throughout the night when the mountain mm-hmm. couldn't offer that service. They ended up getting that permit, and you know now, thankfully, people can operate the gondola for 36 straight hours and, and take a much faster 10-minute ride down than a 30-minute suburban ride. But seeing people get out of those cars at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and then hike back up, you know, the only way down was a pretty nauseating, nauseous-inducing car ride. You started to see bonds being made and also see people really commit to what they were doing. And that's just for me when I started seeing something that Jesse and I dreamt up play out and then how much people gravitated to that goal. And it was also those first couple moments where someone got to put a red bib on mm-hmm. and then they didn't want to take the red bib off. And I think you have these thoughts of what will this be like? Will something work? We did have some misses, as we talked about before, that didn't work year one. And that was one where people in that red bib were inseparable. Like that was all they wanted throughout the weekend and seeing more people walk up the mountain with those red bibs just inspired a lot of other people to want to get that for themselves and also really applaud those that got it. Yeah, there are a few key moments, but I think throughout the weekend, seeing community come together mm-hmm. and also seeing people bounce back. People have lows and then finding a way to push through them. You, know, you also had people that had breakdowns during the event in a way where they didn't think they could keep going and they just got one more summit. And whether they got a red bib, no matter the height that they climbed, it was already a win for them because they did one more than they thought. And so there were even points where it wasn't even people getting to 29,000, 29 feet. You would just see it happen on the mountain where someone would just break down on your shoulder because they thought their last climb had already happened and they found a way to get out there for another couple hours. So that was certainly very special as well. What about the team? The staff and the, the volunteers and the team behind the event are integral to the experience. They're there to pick people up when they're down. They're there to encourage and motivate and support. How did you foster that in the beginning? First year, no one really knew what was happening. Like, How did that come together in that, at that first event? First of all, I consider myself just unbelievably grateful to have the type of friends that I do where there's a lot of friends that I have that I pick up the phone. And before I finish asking them the question, they don't even know what it entails. They say yes. And my wife was the first one for anything that I needed related to the event. She was there. She's an incredible event planner. I can have the big idea, but she's the one that kind of takes all the small details and makes sure everything hits. So to have her and Garth involved in the first event gave me a lot of confidence. And my wife handled all the F and B all the scheduling, the run of show, all that type of stuff. And so throughout the weekend to know that I had the person I trust more than anyone else on this planet, handling all the aspects that quite frankly, in hosting and creating events, I never had to feed people. I never had, it was like you're doing an endurance event and then you went on your own and now we're feeding people nine meals over three days. So there were those aspects 
And so being able to have my wife there and have Garth really running point on a lot of the big operations, I was able to, to be a cheerleader and make sure that my friends and some of my closest friends came there on their own dollar to volunteer and to support. And they're, they want to be around inspiring like-minded people, but they're also very inspiring themselves. So that first year needed people like Matt, who's now part of the full-time staff and my buddy, Benjamin Stewart and, and David Sanek and Andy Keller and others who, who came up there to be part of the staff for the weekend. And there already was that family feel. Yes, we had some great volunteers. Yes, we had some great independent contractors that came, but I really pulled from a resource of friends that whenever I launched events before had been there and brought an energy to the event that was very well needed. And looking at where we were staffed year one to where we're staffed now, it was so minimal. I had no idea how we got through it. We just, we didn't have a third of the amount of the people that we needed, but everyone brought such positive energy and such joy to the event that fed off on participants. And that for me was such a realization of we as a team can impact the participants so much in a journey that's this long it's so important for us and for me as I hire a team to make sure we get people who are positive, who are optimistic, who can show calm in the face of adversity and working some of these events. You may work an eight, 18 hour shift. You may work a 20 hour shift. Normally you don't, but there are times where I knew we also were getting the right staff when their shift was done and they wanted to be out there on the mountain encouraging people. Yeah, it seems such a huge part of it. Being able to grow that team over the years and being able to impart on them the importance that we have in terms of the overall participant experience and how there are some people who solely finish because of a word or a conversation or a mention that someone had that they didn't even know they had at that point. But yeah. you never know sometimes when people are at a low point and we have the ability in this event to get people out of that and get them to get back out there and keep climbing and that was so apparent year one. So I just try to relate to our staff, to our volunteers, just how important they are to the overall event experience. And also, that it, as I said before, that we have a responsibility to put people in the best position possible to have that transformation and to get that feeling of accomplishment. And that you don't want to leave that weekend knowing that you could have given more of yourself so other people could realize that dream, that passion, that, that realization. And it's the same way as when I'm in a race, you want to leave it all out there. I think for us and our team, we have to make sure we leave it all out there and that we're constantly in the face of positivity and encouragement because you, you don't realize until you're in those moments how much you need other people and we're the people that they need. How do you personally manage your energy over that 36-hour period or even longer? The, you know, there's the days leading up as well where you're interacting with people, you're, you're meeting people, you're, uh, you're starting that process as soon as they arrive. How do you personally manage your energy? You can't be on that whole time. Like, What do you do over that weekend to recharge yourself um, and keep yourself at the top of your game when you're in front of the, in front of the crowd, so to speak? Well, you know, first of all, the credit goes to our team and the planning that they do and the ability for me to, to come to the site a couple days early, not a week early like the rest of the team, but a couple days early and have it 95% of the way there that I wanted anyway. So that goes into so much planning that the team does, our volunteers, our contractors on site that, that allow me to do what I need to do most, which is motivate and inspire our team. Look for those little details that we can improve upon that will 
you know, really make a big impact on people and then just be there for the participants. And so, you know, I manage my energy levels, not that well, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> um, you know, I'm able to trust the team to deliver on those things. So I do come in, you know, okay, rested, not well rested, but you know, when the event starts, um, I, I have, I've been lucky enough to have the team shoulder a lot of the burden in the setup and the planning. When the event starts, I kind of look at it almost like I'm a participant and I need to spend every minute available on the mountain. And, you know, I tell it's, it's, it's kind of a running joke with Garth and I, every time I see Garth, who's our head of operations, the event director, are you hydrated? You know, have you taken some salts? Are you eating? And I'll make him sit and eat because we have to take care of ourselves the same way that participants have to take care of themselves. We're on our feet for extended periods of time. We're working long shifts. But for me, it's almost very difficult to remove myself and just say, okay, I need to go take a nap for two hours because I need to be ready at five or six or seven o'clock when people are really starting to finish, or I want to be there in the middle of the night and you realize you can't be there for every single minute. But also, you know, it's three weekends a year. And if I can't go without one night of sleep, that's ridiculous. So I think you, you feed a lot off adrenaline, but I don't think the participants realize like how much energy I get from them. I'm trying to give them energy, but just how inspiring it is to feed off of their energy. And, you know, I'll say, okay, I'm going to go up to the summit and I'm only going to high five and hug people for an hour. And then I need to go back down here and four or five hours passes. And it feels like, you know, it was 10 minutes and you constantly feel like you want to be in every place. But mm-hmm. for me, I, I don't manage it that well. I, uh, I just kind of look at the realization of like, this is one weekend. It's, they're my favorite weekends of the year. And, and I'm just going to enjoy every second of it. And, and none of it's really thoughtful planned. Um, none of it's really premeditated it's just me. And so there are things that just occur during the event. I'll run down the mountain and help someone hike up that I wasn't expecting to do. It's just, if I can help and if I think I can impact someone's journey, I'm going to do it. And the only way I can do it is if I'm physically present. So I think it's really trying to make sure that I'm eating, I'm staying hydrated and you know, I'm out there. And if a moment arises where I can help someone that, that I can hopefully spring to action. I want to talk about some of those elements that actually play a big part in the experience. The red hat, when you finish, the red bib on your final ascent. Talk to me about how meaningful those pieces are. Uh, and then, you know, seeing the red hat out in the wild, someone in Atlanta or somewhere on travels where, some, you know, someone's wearing that red hat with pride and the feeling that gives you when you see it out in the wild. Yeah, it's a small club. So it's, uh, what, there's only probably been, I don't know, 400 people that have a red hat uh, that have completed, you know, actually completed the 29 or 29. So there's a lot of pride in that. Um, but the red bib is something that's super special because it allows people on the mountain to know that you're on your final summit. So when you put it on, so I always say the last one's free. It's a victory lap. You know you got it. And to take your time and go up and every, everybody is high-fiving you and cheering in the gondolas. The aid stations are going crazy. And then you go through the finish line and people are announcing your name and it's emotional uh, it's just a great moment. So, um, it's a highlight for sure. I know I've kept all my red bibs. I don't think anyone throws that out. Um, it's almost like the equivalent of wearing the, the yellow Jersey in the tour de France. And, um, cause, cause everybody's a winner that, you know, if you're a finisher, you're a winner. Yeah. Um, no one's ever asked me 
what place I came in. So uh, it's just a, it's a badge of honor. Well, there you have it. An inside look into the very first 2929 event held at Stratton Mountain, Vermont. Now, many of these stories have never been told before, and this truly is a look into the behind the scenes origin story of a unique and meaningful weekend experience that has changed hundreds of people's lives. Here's a sneak peek of what's to come in episode four as we wrap up season one of the 2929 podcast. How do I protect and grow this? Because this is, this. more people need to see this, but this is needs to be right size so the what's special about this event doesn't get lost by scale or um, from expansion.